Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. That's me in a nutshell. And you asked for it, series. So after Easter, we conducted a survey, and we wanted to know what you guys want to know. What do you want to learn about? What kind of questions do you guys have that we can help with? I'm going to call this the preaching and teaching and reaching, because that's what I'm doing today, talking about things that you guys want to know. So the number one thing requested from you guys was, how do I forgive? Forgiveness being the number one of the six subjects that we saw come in. And I find it funny because this is part of my personal growth, getting up here and speaking and communicating. So I pray that it comes comes across effectively. I also kind of realized when I got into the forgiveness one that Pastor Aaron either thinks I'm really good at forgiving people or he thinks I really still need a lot of work on forgiveness. So I'm not sure yet, but we'll figure it all out. But I'm really just truly thankful to be up here to share an opportunity of just sharing God's word with you and hopefully walking away with reaching a step towards healing. So today, that's what we're talking about, forgiveness. I think most of us can identify with a relationship where we did not forgive or we took a really long time to forgive. We see it across multiple relationships. We'll watch men they can go to a basketball game, a football game, a cookout, you name it. They can get into a fist fight over something or some stats with sports or whatever, you name it. Get huge fight, screaming at each other, and five minutes later, all's forgiven, back on board, they're good to go, and you're sitting there just trying to figure out how they mended it so fast. Or women, we, not everyone, but some women, they're offended by somebody and... Um, <clears throat> they decide to harbor a lot of bitterness and anger towards that girl or guy. And if you're like me, then years ago, you would have gone back home after someone just lit you up and you are ready to go and you became that keyboard warrior. And you'd get online and guess what you would do? I'm about to burn her because you're going to remove her from your top 10 on MySpace. And if you've ever been removed, you know that burn, because I did that to somebody once, and holy cow, that apology came so fast because she did not want to be not in the top 10. Crazy to think about, but it literally got the result that I wanted and reconciled. Stupid, I know. Or if you're really angry and bitter, go ahead, honey. Let it out in your burn book. And if you're a Mean Girls fan, you're welcome all. And then I'll just share a small tidbit. Derek and I have been married for almost 11 years, and uh, we forgive a lot in our relationship. When we were first married, I didn't want to say I was sorry, so I would rather get in my car and drive to the store and buy a $4 Hallmark card that said, I'm sorry, not a lot of anything else, but just I'm sorry, and sign with a heart, Kyle, and give it to him to say I'm sorry over whatever we fought about instead of just going to him and asking for the forgiveness. And then as I was studying, he shared with me that uh, he's forgiven me a lot more in our relationship than I have him. That's adorable. Because if you know me, I'm like type A, so I've got all the spreadsheets, the Google Docs, everything. You name it, I got it probably. 
But forgiveness, it gets harder with more offenses, right? We will scale how heavy the offense is against us or our loved ones. We'll judge that. We'll determine that. And that's why we can't forgive somebody. Have you ever seen those news clips? You're watching TV and you see how a a mother or a father or brother or sister, they're in court and they're sharing a letter of forgiveness to somebody who committed a crime against their family member. And have you ever thought, there's no way. I would never forgive that person. They took a life. They deserve all that they're going to get. I hope they get the maximum sentencing. How could they even do that? How could they fathom doing that? Well, let me share a little bit of my family story. I've grown up. I have four brothers and sisters and lots of aunts and uncles. And we used to spend a lot of family time with everybody. And uh, I, had a, I had an uncle named Uncle Rob. And I only remember him through being about four and a half, five years old. Because when he and his girlfriend were expecting a baby, her father did not like my uncle. And so I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure if an argument started. I don't know any of those details. What I do know is that Lisa, the girlfriend, was expecting... And the father, her father, point blank range, shot and killed my uncle in front of her. So you can only imagine when, A, you're expecting a baby that you just watched the man that you're supposed to be with killed. Everything shatters in front of you. And then on our side of the family, how it causes this rippling effect of all the pain and agony that it causes from a father losing his son and sisters and brothers losing their brother. And so this created a lot of trauma in our family and a lot of agony. And also it caused me to grow up hating somebody that I've never met in my life. Absolute, pure hatred for someone. Where I could honestly tell you, I would sit there and say, I hope he gets the worst of the worst. The most vile things that you could say against somebody, I've felt that towards someone. Because I thought he deserved the worst of the worst. But then I turn my life to Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. And I say chase after Jesus a lot because it's not, when I think of follow, it's like being on the ankles of someone just kind of behind him. I feel like I'm constantly chasing after him because I want to follow and be so in love with Jesus that I want to chase after him constantly to have a relationship with him. So being a Christ follower like that is not easy. You'll be asked to deal with some tough situations sometimes. Like dealing with that intense amount of hatred for someone you've never met. It's not Christ-like. So just go with me as we take a look at what the Bible says and hearing God's word. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, because of life change, I can stand up here today and tell you that I don't currently struggle with that. But I really, truly thought at a point in my life that I would never, ever forgive this guy. Because how could you forgive someone who does something so unthinkable? Literally tearing a family apart and causing so much strife for an unborn child. Because it wasn't just like, oh, this happened, and that's really sad and horrible. What you don't know is that this caused the mom to have a complete breakdown. So Amber 
ended up in the system, bouncing in between family members of ours. So biologically, she's my cousin. And then my parents tried to adopt her and raise her. And as she was going through the court system through that, she was raised as my sister. And then the courts didn't allow that. So she was put back into the system where my grandfather adopted her. So then she became my aunt legally. And then when my grandfather was too sick to take care of her anymore, my oldest sister legally adopted her, now making her my niece. So you can just see the rippling effect that something like this causes, any kind of trauma. We still see it today in our family. You've seen those 23andMe DNA tests where you like, I think you like take a swab and you send it back in, you wait for a few weeks, right? I haven't tried it, I've got a few friends that have done it. Amber decided to do one and uh, <clears throat> it was really interesting because she did it, she waited the several weeks to get her DNA results back. And it came back and she actually got a result that she kind of like was related to this person. And she calls and she says who it is. And she has, she, she says the name. She has no idea who this person is. And it's a cousin of ours, but that cousin has no relationship with Amber because given the situation that has occurred, somebody who never did anything has no relationship with this girl. So she doesn't understand why my sister and I know who she is and she doesn't. So it's really easy to see like how we just keep kind of going through situations, not all bad, teaching moments really, but just what it causes. And so that's what we're talking about today, forgiveness. How do I forgive someone who does something so horrible? Do I really have to forgive? What does the Bible say about forgiveness? How do we do it? Have you ever just sat there, you're like that, that little emoji with the hands in the air, like, how do I do it? Don't even know. Don't even know. Personally, from having faith, I just know that someone here can have an encounter with God in his word today, where the Holy Spirit can take you and transform your heart, or maybe take you and help you gain steps towards healing and forgiving someone. So we'll just take some time and look at what the Bible tells us about forgiveness. We're going to visit where Jesus gracefully prays a forgiving prayer when he was being crucified. Now, you may have read about the crucifixion, and you may have seen a movie or two on it. And this is a little side note for you, but when I was younger and Passion of the Christ came out, I was... Listen, I was on fire for Jesus, and I was charging hell with a water pistol, okay? I was ready to go. So Passion of the Christ came out, and I went with some friends to see the movie. And we leave the movie. We're in a van full of his family members and stuff, and the grandma turns around and asks us, and we're crying and sobbing from just seeing, what, seeing the passion. And she asked the cousin, so what did you think about the movie? And she said, well, it was kind of predictable, And I'm somebody who really laughs hard at something like that. So you can imagine how hard I laughed when the grandma, without missing a beat, turned around and said, well, next I guess you you're going to say that they better write a book about it. Over, over, because the cousin didn't understand. Bible, Bible already written, book, boom, there it is. I digress, but that's what I think about. So let's go into Luke 23, 32, 33 says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. 
And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. It's really completely impossible to understand how terrible this was. Because you would need to know at that time how much the Romans absolutely hate you in order to determine this point of execution for you. Crucifixion was the most expensive form of execution at the time. I don't know about you, but when I'm mad at somebody and I don't want them in my life, I'm probably not going to spend top dollar on them to get something or do something to them. I'm not going to. It's going to be whatever they get. But crucifixion is more than just the physical aspect of it. It is reserved to give a massive amount of shame, humiliation, and suffering. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. They would determine that. And so we remember that Jesus, they chose crucifixion for him, claiming that he was the worst of the worst, but all knowing that Jesus was completely innocent And before anything happened to being nailed to a cross, they took him and they beat him where he didn't even look like a human being. His face no longer recognizable. They gave him a crown of thorns that pierced his skin, blood pouring down him. And before that, while they were beating him, they would have taken the cattails and lashed at him multiple times over and over and over again. They would have had shards of glass attached to them. And that would stick into the flesh and they would rip it right back out. Flesh tearing, exposing his flesh, possibly internal organs, and the agony that that would cause all before being pierced. And then then they would have stripped him down naked and held him down while they pierce his hands and feet. You might hear that and physically think, oh, that's horrible. And if I'm being honest, it's one of the hardest things for me to talk about because when I literally think about Jesus being crucified, it does something to me emotionally to share that. It's so hard to think about watching that or hearing someone go through that. And then it's not even the worst because... The cross, as some might have imagined, they would have imagined that it was, you know, about five feet off the ground and feet here and then a person up on a cross. But really, the cross may or would have been a little bit lower to the ground, like a foot or two off the ground with the feet there because it was made to cause suffering where people could come up and mock you, bystanders watching you go through that and then come up and mock at you. They gave them an opportunity to spit at him. You call yourself king of the Jews. You saved others. Now save yourself. Being mocked is already horrible enough, but being mocked while you're suffocating and suffering. And then remembering that the only way to stay alive at this point is to push through your pierced feet And pull up through the wounds in your hands to gasp for air, to grab a breath of air while you're being mocked. And they would suffer like that for days until going mad and eventually dying. And it's times like that that we have to remember that in that instance, the creation, us, was mocking the creator in the flesh. And through all of that, Jesus displays the most beautiful amount of graciousness. 
Jesus looks to the heaven. And in Luke 23, 34, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, I know I don't preach all the time, so maybe you guys can just forgive me because I don't always know what I'm doing, so that would be great. But at this time, Jesus is asking for forgiveness for something that seems so completely unforgivable. Now, for some of you, there might be some real hurt that you're carrying with you. And you might have God talking to you about that hurt in your life. Maybe you had a friend that you trusted and they gossiped about you. And so you've not been able to let that go. Maybe you had a business relationship go sour because someone stole your money. They took advantage of you. They ruined your reputation. The business went under. Maybe a parent that was just never around and that still weighs heavily on you. It could possibly be in a marriage where something happened in the past or recently. And then there's those who have suffered extreme abuse. Kids who have been abused. Parents who have, bu- who have abused. The sexual abuse. Verbal and spiritual abuse that comes about in a marriage. The statistics on abuse are really staggering. And I'm not here to to act like I know anything about that because it breaks my heart to, to read about the statistics, to know what that does to people. But maybe you're mad at God. Like you ask for something, you're trying to work through something, you haven't, you haven't been given the thing that you've been praying about. And you're just thinking, why didn't you do what I know you could? I believe in you and you still didn't show yourself. Are you there? Maybe you can't forgive yourself. You might believe that you've been forgiven, but you just can't let it go. It just won't go away. Honestly, I spent a lot of time here during parts of my marriage where things had occurred and I could not forgive myself for something that had happened. And I'd be happy to share that with you. You can take me out for a $2 coffee. I'm worth that. I'd be happy to share some of our story about that. But that's where I spent a lot of time of, Like, yes, I'm forgiven, but it just won't go away. Not forgiving myself just will not go away. Stay with me here. So we're going to go on a little example. Does anybody have carpet in their house? I grew up with Berber carpet. I currently have hardwood floors, which I am incredibly thankful for. But I never knew about, like, the, the clean, straight lines when vacuuming until I was older, my friends were teaching me about that because they either worked for a cleaning service or what have you. Because Berber carpet, you sweep it and it doesn't really go one way or the other. It's just the little loops. So imagine that sweeping, trying to get that straight, perfect, clean line. And then all of a sudden, something's stuck. Something's stuck. It's not picking it up. And I've seen my mom do this where she bends over. She picks it up looks at it, puts it back down, tries to go over it again, still stuck. Unforgiveness is like that. It just won't go away. Trying to sweep it up, make it go away. It's not going anywhere. Why do we do that? Because sometimes it just feels like no matter what you do, it just won't go away. Maybe you've prayed, maybe you tried and went to church, but you just can't seem to let it go. 
Maybe you've gone to counseling and you just can't let it go. And we all know it's bad when something happens to us, but it's almost worse when it happens to someone that you know and love. So how do you get to the place in the middle of that pain where you can say, Father, forgive them? How do we let go? How do you forgive like Jesus? There's two thoughts that I want to share with you today. It's not easy to do, but we can apply God's truth, and we can meet him in his word. Step one is you would pray for those who hurt you. Let me say that again. You pray for those who hurt you. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And I know some of you probably thought, all right, I'll pray for you. I'm going to pray that they get uh, really sick. I'm going to pray that they have car problems. I'm going to pray that they get fired from their job. I'm going to pray that every single time they put toothpaste on their toothbrush, when they run it underneath the water, it goes down the drain. I'm going to pray that every time they go to Chipotle, when they ask for guac, they don't put it in their burrito. Burn. I'm going to pray for you. Because we name it and claim it, right? Matthew 5, 43, 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, when we think about what the culture was like at that time, you have to remember that the people would have been taught that it's an eye for an eye. It's a tooth for a tooth. This would have completely overwhelmed them because everything of them, their DNA, the fibers of their being is taught. You hurt me, I hurt you. You steal from me, I steal from you. You take life from a family member, I'm taking one of yours. Current day, we're in traffic. Someone flips you off, guess what you do? Peel the banana, baby. Peel the banana and you do it twice back at them because it's an eye for an eye and you're going double time. That's why some of y'all ain't got no simple church stickers on the back of your car. I said it. But in those moments, you love your enemy. You love the person who killed your family member. You pray for the person who robbed a daughter of her father. Wow. To even say that years ago would never would have happened. There's no way I would have done that. But maybe did someone hurt you? Did someone abuse you? Did someone take advantage of you? Or maybe someone's mistreated you? You pray for them. And why did he teach this? Because the right attitude precedes right actions. The right attitude precedes right actions. Choices lead and feelings follow. I had to think about that one for a second. The choices lead and the feelings follow. Because you might never get the feeling back, but you can choose to forgive. You literally could be waiting around for the feeling until Jesus returns. In my head, what I see is like the skeleton on the park bench waiting because you have not received that feeling to forgive yet. Your prayers for others may not change them, but it always changes you. Let me say that one more time. Your prayers for others may not change them, but it always changes you. 
Because praying for someone who's done someone, something so unthinkable to a family, it changed my heart. And instead of pure hatred and bitterness that I grew up with, that I could have potentially taught my daughter to hate somebody else, instead of having that, I was able to release that. Because I don't want to be somebody who, completes, who completely hates somebody. I don't want to be that kind of person ever. Now, I'm not condoning what happened in our family, what happened to the family, and I'm not acting like it never happened. But Jesus teaches us that we pray for those who hurt you. And so how do we forgive? It sounds so simple, but it's forgive as you have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I've been forgiven of more than you can absolutely imagine. I've done and said things I'm not proud of. But I'm supposed to forgive as I have been forgiven. Maybe there's some relationships hanging on from a thread. Maybe in your marriage there's been a sexual betrayal that would give you grounds for divorce. Biblically, it would say it gives you grounds for divorce. But it also gives you grounds for forgiveness. Because if two people can turn away from their sins and turn towards Jesus, God can save a marriage. And I believe that. If the two people decide to turn away from their sins and face Jesus, God can save that. I believe that applies to friendships and other relationships as well. I mean, even in here, serving. Some of y'all don't even want to serve on a team because somebody else is on that team because you're full of unforgiveness. And it happens a lot. And maybe that's something that we just need to work on. But did I say it? Oh, she said it. I said it. We have to forgive as we have been forgiven. We have a choice. I know there's going to be people that get you mad. And you can practice that argument. You can stand in front of the mirror and say, oh, if she comes back at me, I've got this. I'm going to say that to her. I'm really going to give it to her this time. She's going to know exactly what I meant, and I'm going to get her good. Go ahead. Let those kinds of things keep you awake. Go ahead. Rehearse your argument. Let that resentment grow and fester, and let it make you that bitter, angry person. Keep posting your passive-aggressive social media posts. But maybe at some point, you might choose to forgive. It might not change the past, but it will change the future. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, poison and hoping the other person dies. It's true. Holding on to that because they've gone on with their life. They're doing whatever they're doing, and you're the one holding on to that bitterness and that anger and that hurt. And I had to give up that hatred and this unforgiveness of his choice. I chose to forgive because not, not forgiving what occurred, it gave me a skewed view of violence and people for that matter. There's a time when I decided to hand it over completely to God and felt that heavy feeling lift off of me. Now currently, I'm super thankful to have Amber in my life. So I shared the relations of how it's all changed for us. So we've grown up closer as sisters and 
I have a great relationship with her. I don't have the best relationship with all of my other cousins because family, the family has kind of dropped off and lost touch with each other. But I have a great relationship with her. And so I can be thankful for that instead of choosing to be so bitter over what happened. And I pray that that guy found Jesus. I do. I, I hope that while he was incarcerated that he turned toward Jesus and was transformed. And I pray that because it's not because he's good. It's because our Savior is good. Having a relationship with Jesus lets me know that I'll spend eternity with him, not because I deserve it, not because I earned it for any good works, but because he is good. And when we forgive someone, it's like letting a, pres- a prisoner free. And usually we find out that we were the prisoner. Forgiving someone will never change what happened but it can change you. So let's pray. God, I'm giving this to you today, forgiving and letting things go. God, I know that for some, that might be just a moment and be easy to let go of, but for others, this is just the first step in the healing process. Lord, I pray that they would keep on taking those steps and let the Holy Spirit work on their hearts. God, I know that you can bring around transformation and restorations in our marriages, in our relationships. Maybe even those having a hard time forgiving someone. Maybe it's someone who's not even alive anymore. But God, that you would empower us to forgive as we have been forgiven. That somehow by your power that you would do work in our hearts that no man here on earth could do. And God, I pray that today for some this would be a breakthrough and have miraculous healing. And for others that we will just keep on working towards the next step and faithfully follow Jesus to forgive. But maybe you're not a Christ follower and unsure of all of the Jesus, the Jesus stuff. You can rest in knowing that a man who lived a sinless life died on a cross 2,000 years ago for you. God gave his only son for you. So maybe you're sitting here and you feel a powerful reason why you're here today. You don't know what it is yet, but maybe if we sat down and we asked, or if I asked you how you're doing spiritually, you could share, like, I'm carrying this. I'm trying to let it go. I'm full of guilt and shame. And that's okay, because you need to know that the reality is that every person here in the seat has done something. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory and of God's standard. We fall short. And that's why his grace is so amazing. He did something that he didn't deserve. And for his grace, we can never earn it. But we have to know that Jesus gave his last breath for us, risen from the dead so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. And it's not because you're good. It's because he is good. Now would you just join us together so nobody ever prays alone? God, I need you. I'm calling out to you because I'm tired of doing things my way. I invite you into my life. I need you to fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit and make me whole. Help me to live for you 
trust you and love you. And to understand your grace, your mercy, and peace. Amen. All right, y'all. Now let's give it up for those who chose Jesus today. Can you give them a big hand? Woo! That makes me excited because life change can happen that way. Now at this time, I'd like to ask the offering host to come forward to collect our tithes and offering. If you're a first-time guest, please know that you're under no obligation to give. Just know that every dollar that comes through, we're out there supporting our missionaries globally and locally. Things like our tithes and offering, they actually support our local food bank right here next door to us, doing great things around the community. So this time I'll pray. Lord, just thank you so much for today. I pray that you would just bless this time of offering, that it would just stir up a a piece of life change for those who have come today. God, I pray that it would just be your will no matter what, each and every single day, and that this would help transform lives to help towards that healing process. In Jesus' name, amen.